What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Welcome to the show ladies and gents, if you did miss last week's two hour Real-time watch-along special. Do be sure to go and check that out. On demand, you can do so in all the usual avenues at lordsofpain.net or Blog Talk Radio. It's there for you to listen whenever you can do, as are all the great other shows we have here on LOP Radio, coming to you every single day of the week. So make sure you don't miss any of the great content coming your way. As you may be aware, this Sunday there's a little show on called WrestleMania, and it's looking like it's going to be the longest pay-per-view in WWE history. As a result, I decided that, well, it's time for the alternative pre-show, as always, but I'd need a little help doing it. So I roped in a couple of my friends from LordsOfPain.net to help me out. I'm going to introduce them in just a little while. Before we get there, though, I did want to make a couple of plugs at the start of the show. I'd usually do this at the end of the show, but basically, well, you'll see I just signed straight off out of the end of the preview. So in the interest of getting them in all the same, make sure you check out lordsofpain.net every single day of the week for a new inductee into the Lords of Pain Hall of Fame class of 2019. Inductees that you, my good listeners and the good readers of LOP, voted in your kind selves. You voted in your hundreds. We've already seen James Cornette go in. We've already seen the Dudley Boys go in. We've already seen TLC2 go in. We've seen Sting go in and more besides. Make sure they're going to be happening every day up until and including on Saturday, so make sure you're checking that out every single day. You can, of course, check out all the great columns dropping on LordsOfPain.net across the week as well. And if you want to hit me up about any thoughts you may have about the product, about this show, about my columns, or about anything else related to wrestling, hit me up on Twitter at LOP Plan. You can find me on Facebook. Just look up Samuel Plan. You can email me at samuel.plan101 at gmail.com say that again because I think I cocked it up samuel.plan101 at gmail.com you can of course drop me a comment on any of my posts on lordsofpain.net whether it's a column or a podcast advertisement or best yet why not go over to LOP's columns forum sign up there's not just columns from there there's all kinds of great threads about everything from film to music to TV to hobbies to politics you name it it's there as well as all good things wrestling WWE AEW TNA doesn't matter what it is NJPW there's a place for you to post and discuss all your interests with one of the best communities in the IWC out there on the internet and I genuinely mean that so With all that being said, done and out of the way, it's time to introduce my first guest. And we're going to be here a little little bit, not too much, but a little bit longer than we normally are, folks, because there's a lot to get through. And my first guest... By the way, these these previews are pre-recorded, so uh, things may have changed since since they were recorded. I recorded them on Sunday, this last week just gone, so the Sunday before WrestleMania. And uh, I'm going to lead into the first of those two segments now, introducing my first guest. You know him pretty well if you follow LordsOfPain.net. He's been on Sports Entertainment Is Dead in the past to help me uh, talk about particularly his favourite wrestler, Dean Ambrose. He is the author of Sir Sam's Court, a weekly feature column here on LordsOfPain.net that drops pretty much every single Friday. He is my Australian namesake. It's Sir Sam. Sam, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much, Governor. It's, uh, 
Do you, do you like my English accent? Is That's that wor- your English, is that acceptable your English accent is worse than my Australian accent? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not going to argue the point with that. Not, not a bit. <laughs> Good to have you back on the show, Sam. Uh, we Thanks are, very much for having me. We are here, as I have already introduced, to do the WrestleMania alternative pre-show, which is crazy to think that WrestleMania is already upon us, even though it has admittedly felt a little bit like a lifetime since the Royal Rumble. It's been a particularly long build to WrestleMania this year. How are you feeling about the uh, the show in general this year? Uh, anyone who, who read has read my schizophrenic columns on, on Lords of Pain might might have got an idea that I was, you know, not happy about it. Uh, I was very down on the stories just uh, and the, the build to it just a, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, however... I don't know. Just it's that time of the year, you know. It's like it's Christmas time, so I'm I'm just getting excited anyway. Uh, I've got some some friends coming around for WrestleMania. They're not wrestling. They're not you know they're not big wrestling fans. Obviously, they watch it enough that they'll take a day off work to to watch it with me. But they're not they're not diehards by any stretch of the imagination. But we'll sit around. Uh, we'll eat some pizza, some some have some hot wings drink some cheap Aussie beer and, you know, have a, have a great old time. And it's, there's so much going on on WrestleMania weekend as well to be excited about with the G1 Supercard and NXT. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it's hard not to just kind of let, let the little fan out within you, even though it has, it has not been the most glorious of builds to WrestleMania. No, quite. Um, What time does it, does the show start uh, down there? Uh, the pre-show starts at 7 a.m. Oh, uh, bliss. I, I think we, because my friends are coming, we'll be driving about an hour and a half, two hours to, to come around to my house. So I think just, I may be watching it on a slight delay. But Just to put oh, that yeah. into perspective to anybody who doesn't live in Australia or the UK, drive for me, driving two and a half hours basically sees me at the other end of the country. <laughs> <laughs> for you, it's the drive next door. It's my next door neighbor, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not been the most auspicious of builds to WrestleMania this year. It's gone back and forth. We started very positively. It seems the longer that it's gone on, the more they've sunk back into bad habits again. One wonders whether or not that's because they're panicked a little bit, as I've discussed on, on uh, the right side of the pond many times, uh, what with AEW already doing so well before they've even had a show and whatnot. And the, the WWE seem to be aware that they they need to do something to change their game. They just can't seem to grasp the very simple uh, part of their game that they need to change, which is to to get rid of those part timers and those uh, those those veterans that probably have stayed long past their prime. But this is the alternative pre-show. It's sports entertainment is dead, so of course we're not going to get into all that negativity. We are here to have you guys up for WrestleMania and probably fair to say to a certain extent hype ourselves up for WrestleMania. We're not going to be going through every one of the 14 matches currently announced. By the way, this conversation's been recorded before Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live air, so uh, if anything changes in the next 48 to 72 hours, I'll have to tack something onto the end of this 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 chat here. But um, we're going to run through some of the, the, the matches that I uh, find a little bit more intriguing and, and a little bit more interesting, as well as one or two where the story hasn't done much for me in the hopes that either myself or Sam or both of us together can get me hyped up a little bit for them. Uh, Sam, I want to start then with a match that you and I were discussing on Twitter not too long ago, 
which is one that has been met with a degree of uh, of uh, mockery from uh, from fans online, a degree of controversy, which is, of course, we know that Kurt Angle is going to be wrestling his farewell match at WrestleMania. Win or lose, this we know is going to be his last match. He picked his opponent, and his opponent, of all people, is Baron Corbin. It's certainly an interesting pick for for Kurt Angle to to make that selection. Uh, it's it's been a long time coming for Kurt. Everyone can see, I guess, from how he is in the ring that he's not the man he once was. However, as with so many of of these guys, uh, as you know, in any sport, as the the body breaks down, the mind sometimes you know stays quite sharp and and still has that drive uh, to be the best and, and to be and to compete and to do what I guess Kurt would, Kurt would love to be able to do. And this is a guy who has got such a determined mind. When he sets his mind to something, he could normally will his body, even if his body is on the verge of completely and utterly breaking down. Uh, this is a guy who can, who can force it to do things that most of us couldn't. Uh, you know, need need we remind people he won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck, and that's a catchphrase, right? But to win a wrestling gold medal with a broken neck is insanity. Like that is at the Olympics, that, no less. At the Olympics, yes. At the, at his home Olympics, he willed himself to do that. This is a man with an incredible, incredible determination, and. I, I'm. I, I hope you'll be able to to shed some light on why he may have picked Baron Corbin. I know they've had a lot of dealings with one another story wise, but the way that I see this match is just can this guy keep it together just for one last thing? Because he's he's been a, he's been trying to. He you know he he has been he went through against Chad Gable and and got the win there. That's personally, I guess, the match I would love to have seen um, because very much he. Chad Gable feels like the spiritual successor to to Kurt Angle, but uh, he he beat beat Chad Gable. He managed to get one up on I guess the next generation of talent. He beat Samoa Joe, who is a person who has a sordid history with, uh, and he was set to face AJ Styles. So he is certainly warming that motor up. But can he keep it going on the grandest stage of them all? Well, he's been doing this this farewell tour, hasn't he? And it, it's mm. uh, it's been apparent that uh, WWE, the powers that be for whatever reason, have decided to <clears throat> excuse me have decided to allow him to pick, select the opponents that he's been been wrestling. I'm kind of gutted Seth wasn't one of them, but uh, never nevertheless, you know, he's gone through Samoa Joe, he's gone through, and he, you know, a, a, a veritable. Uh, list of quite impressive performers in their own right and he's been either beating them or at the very least surviving them i wonder whether or not there's an element to this match and the reason maybe one reason why he picked baron corbin specifically as his opponent in his last match uh at wrestlemania is to maybe do a little damage control kurt angle i think it was it was said in an interview or or a tweet recently where he basically said to the fans look i know this isn't the kurt angle the old kurt angle you may have wanted uh and so I think he's 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 very much aware of the fact, and and one wonders whether or not his experiences since he came back to WWE have been what have driven this home to him, 
that his body isn't, as you were saying, his body isn't able to do the things that it used to be able to do. It's quite clear when you watch him that he's a lot slower than he used to be. But you're quite right. I mean, the mind, his mind is still as sharp as it was. I mean, the, the counters that he's been pulling out in these TV matches against the likes of Chad Gable and so forth into, you know, getting that. I mean, Kurt Angle always had an uncanny ability to get an ankle lock. Uh, out of nowhere. I mean, mm. I, I very distinctly remember the Ironman match he wrestled with Shawn Michaels. He counters a moonsault into an ankle lock. I mean, who the hell counters a moonsault into an ankle lock? But Kurt Angle managed to find a way to do it. He's going to be very interested on Raw when he wrestles Rey Mysterio because that was one of the things that, that uh, defined their match, their famous match at SummerSlam in 2002 was Angle's ability to just keep countering everything that Rey was pulling out. Um, but one wonders whether he's, you know, maybe this is, is trying to repair a little bit of damage that's been done to to either his legacy through either being in the ring um, and maybe trying to recapture glory days that are behind him. Uh, but also, you know, his stint on Monday Night Raw started off as general manager and as time went by, he was sub- subjected to more and more increasing degrees of embarrassment from mm. the powers that be, from Stephanie and Triple H, first of all, and of course in last year's mixed tag match with Ronda Rousey. Uh, and then later, you know, Baron Corbin. And and Baron Corbin, you know, I mean, it's it's not a, it's the worst kept secret in WWE that Baron Corbin is seen as something of an embarrassment by the WWE universe. People don't like Baron Corbin. And this isn't a case of people loving to hate him. People just hate him. Uh, and for Kurt Angle, who is a man who has earned all of this respect and all of this admiration and frankly this love from WWE fans for his stint in, in WWE as well as the stuff he's done outside of the company, for him to have been not just embarrassed the way he was but to be to be subjected to Baron Corbin of all people, uh, this strikes me as equal parts an opportunity for Kurt to get revenge and redemption. Hmm. Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see that, and of course there was those, those two have had matches, and and Angle has lost them both, uh, and so no doubt that smarts at a man who you know as we've said his body is breaking down, but he is a proud man, and and I mean I'm not sure what you want to make of this, but it's something that just came to me. Baron Corbin is is something. There are similarities between the two. Um, Baron Corbin came from another sport. He played American football, as Kurt Angle did amateur wrestling before he became he came to the WWE. Baron Corbin did have quite a a big start to his early career on the the main roster. He was he won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royale. He was Mr. Money in the Bank at a time. He has been in some. He's been the United States champion. He's been in some serious one-to-one feuds against people like Dean Ambrose. Is there a is there a part of Kurt Angle? Do you think that maybe might see a little bit of himself in Baron Corbin, and and kind of want to bring that out of of Corbin as well? Possibly, you know, maybe knows, beat it yeah. out of him. <laughs> well, yeah, quite, quite possibly. Mm. It's going to be interesting to see how Corbin reacts to this. I mean, it, you know, uh, to to either a win or a loss, you would you would kind of hope that that maybe he sees the light a little bit, and and uh, and Kurt Angle is able to give him a fight at least, because you've got to think that that this this match favors Corbin heavily. He's younger, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster, uh, and like you said, he holds victories over Kurt, you know, two times running. 
Kurt's built a little bit of momentum up, I guess, with these with these matches on on Raw or whatnot. And like you say, I guess ultimately this comes down to Kurt Angle's superior uh, mentality in the ring and, and Baron Corbin's superior physicality uh, in the ring, and which one of those two things is is going to wear out. Reminds me of uh, of that line in. Um, uh, Dark Knight Rises, where Bane tells Batman, "I wondered what was going to break first, your mind or your body," and that's going to be, I think, oh, so your spirit or your body. I beg your pardon, and that's probably going to be what defines this match: is whether Kurt Angle's uh, mentality breaks before his body does, uh, or if his body breaks before his mentality does. But we'll see. If you had to, if you had to pick a winner for this one, I, I would probably, oh, I. I want Kurt. I want Kurt Angle to win. Why? Like I think everyone in that in that arena will want Kurt Angle to win. So, okay. I I would I would say this guy goes out. He he does manage to pull it together for one more time. Okay. Well, it'd be a hell of an elating WrestleMania mm. moment, quote unquote, mm. uh, if if that did happen. So I guess we'll have to see. Um, if you want my pick, what about you'll... you, Plan? What what's yours? You'll have to tune into the right side of the pond on Friday. I'm not giving oh, it away for free. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, listen, a man's got two, three podcasts this week to hype. So, uh, and by the way, if you want my, on that note, if you want my, uh, my instinctive reaction to whatever may happen at WrestleMania, be sure to tune in live to Aftershock immediately following WrestleMania. It will be, I guess I have something in common with Kurt. It will be my last Aftershock, at least for the foreseeable future. So uh, do tune into that as well. Um, Okay, well, let's move swiftly on. We've got a lot to get through. I want to talk about the uh, the women's tag team championship match. Four-way tag team title match here. Sasha Banks and Bailey defending the titles. They won at Elimination Chamber against Nia Jax and Tamina, against the Iconics, and against the, uh, bizarrely, I have to say, the, the, the team of Beth Phoenix and Natalia. And the, the thing that strikes me, first of all, off the bat on this one, Sam, is that, you know... Nia Jax and Tamina went into the Elimination Chamber. You've got to think the odds on favourites because of their size and brutality. Uh, they came unstuck largely because essentially Nia eliminated herself by charging through one of the pod doors and making a tactical error. That kind of environment isn't in play this time around. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I think this is one fall to a finish. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a race to see who can pick that up, but you've got to think that Nia and Tamina just de facto become the favourites because they've got the size on their side, and this time there's no environment in which they could possibly, you know, have enough rope to hang themselves. But I also have to say, uh, as a huge fan of the Iconics, by the way, I'm first of all delighted that they've got this spot on the main card at WrestleMania, which isn't a spot everybody gets. Uh, but they're crafty. You know, the Iconics are, are very cerebral. They're smarter than people give them credit for. They put on the pretense of, of being a bit silly. But, but you know, there's a there's a, a Machiavellian streak to the two of them. And we've seen how they operate in this kind of environment in the past. If you remember in the distant past at NXT TakeOver, they were part of a four-way women's championship match with Asuka and Nikki Cross, in which they stunt, shouldn't have stood a chance. But at various points in that environment, they had an advantage. Uh, you know, I, I I have to look at one of those two teams here. You've got a, a lot of different factors in this match. You've kind of got the the game, the skills, and the the I guess the the fighting spirit of the the boss and hug. So Bailey and Bailey and Sa- Sasha Banks. That name and then you've got on uh, on SCID. So okay, I'm sorry. You can you can bleep that out at a later in in the editing <laughs> process. <laughs> uh, you know they're 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 definitely I guess technically the most skilled. They're the they've their game they're up for any kind of fight but at the same time 
you do have that raw power of the Samoans. You've got that cunning. And then you've also got, I guess, the the veteran wiliness of Natalia and Beth Phoenix. And I also think, you know, you've got an interesting contrast having Beth Phoenix coming back, um, who in her prime was very much the the power element of the women's division and the dominant mm. women of woman of the the women's division coming up against Tamina and Nia Jax. Do you uh, think that's you, sorry definitely to, something. Yes, go. Sorry to interrupt you. I was just going to say, do you think that, that the interesting thing about Beth is the only person in this match who's ever wrestled Beth, I believe, is Natalia, um, <clears throat> who is, of course, Beth's uh, partner in this thing. So even though there's, you know, they can go away, they could watch the tape, none of, none of the other participants in this match know fully... I mean, they've, they've kind of... Enca- I think Nia encountered Beth in the first Women's Royal Rumble the other year, uh, but none of them fully know what Beth's capable of in, in, a, in a proper, you know, a proper match, for want of a better phrase, like this one. So she's kind of a bit of an unknown quantity. I wonder whether that gives her a little bit of an advantage in this. I, I think it really does, particularly against the Samoans, because those two are, are people who are confident, bordering on arrogant in their own strength and their own, I guess, power. They will sure. go in there not not thinking that uh, Beth Phoenix is something that they should be worried about when they really should be worried about. This is, I mean, this is someone who eliminated the great Carly from the Royal Rumble now. You know, take what you will from that. It's still an incredible feat that she she managed to do that. Uh, this is not someone who should be messed with. And Natalia has shown as well that on her day, she is as good as anyone in that women's division. Uh, and these two have that extra motivation of being reunited for the first time in a long time. Uh, and 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 also particularly for Beth Phoenix, she I, I feel like she she would be very much fueled by the motivation of not being able to, to finally get something that she probably felt entitled to, which is the the sort of focus and the sort of uh, platform that the women's division provides now, whereas it was the Divas era. It was, you know, amongst some of the darkest years for the, the women's division when Beth Phoenix was around. Uh, and even though she was, you know, a, an amazing an amazing wrestler uh, to have on that that card. There was also a lot of you know real weak links in that division, uh, yeah. and uh, and and Beth Phoenix will be coming back to post evolution and really wanting to show and wanting to gain what she never got the chance to get. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you were bang to rights when you said that that Sasha Banks and and Bailey, you know, obviously. Uh, closer than than most teams in that division um but I, you know i'm not entirely certain that that's a factor this time like it was at chamber because mm. you know you've got you've got uh you've got uh, blood in common in the case of Nia Jax, Tina, mm. Beth and Natalia have been best friends for longer than Bailey and Sasha have uh, and the iconics are arguably a closer duo than than any of the others in this thing, so you know, it's ultimately a tag team match. Synergy has to play uh, a part in in how effective these teams are. Though, admittedly, it's not a typical tag team environment, and it, it's it perhaps doesn't play quite as much of a, a role as it would do if it was just one team on one team. But where Bailey and, and Banks have the advantage is, you know, they 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 head in as the champion, so they've got that natural momentum. But I think that there's a there's an expectation on them, particularly given you know that we know 
Becky and, mm. and Charlotte are are closing out the show. There's going to be a, an expectation on Sasha and Bailey to deliver, and we've seen them both historically deliver when that expectation has been there. They're very good at rising to the occasion, both of them, which is why that you know the revolution even was a thing in the first place. Um, but also, you know, it's that I think that they're, they're going to feel the pressure of what this night means for women's wrestling, which is arguably the most important night. Uh, in in the history of this revolution, even more so than 32 was with the triple threat, because mm. if that main event flubs it for whatever reason, you know, if something doesn't quite click between those three, I'm getting a bit meta now, but uh, then then you risk people starting to say, well, what was all of this for? Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a threat, but the point that I'm trying to drive at is I think Sasha and Bailey are going to feel like a share of the responsibility for making sure that the women deliver at WrestleMania this year is still going to be on their shoulders, because if people end up, if fans end up in one way or another disappointed with the main event, let's say Ronda retains the championship, Sasha and Bailey are going to want to make sure, I think, that the fans still have that that element of the show to, mm. to, to you know, keep in, in their good memories. And on the point of Beth, I think if, if Bailey and Sasha do rise to the occasion, what's fascinating is seeing how Beth particularly, as a woman who, as you said, preceded all of this revolution, evolution, whatever you may want to call it, how she responds to that, because it's going to be a level of competition that she's not familiar with herself. As much of an unknown quantity as Beth may be in the match, the match is just as much going to be as much of an unknown quantity to her as a performer. And that's the fascinating dichotomy in this, I think. And you know what, amongst all of that, because we've talked a lot about how, you know, Natalia, how um, Tamina and Naya may kind of potentially be sidetracked with with what's happening with Beth and Natalia mm. and they may cancel each other out. And then you've got that pressure you were talking about with Bailey and Sasha. How perfect is it set up for this duo, as you said, this Machiavellian duo, who everyone is going to underestimate. The, all, all three of those teams will think we've got the Iconics beaten. They will not be thinking when they're, when they're you know, scanning the room for the potential threats, they'll not be looking for the Iconics. And that's, yep. That's when the Iconics are dangerous because they are a team that knows when to jump. You know, we saw in the in the past, we saw them jump on Charlotte, beat Charlotte down the night after she beat Asuka. I'm not sure. It may, was it the night after she beat Asuka? I Very shortly they, after yeah, she beat Asuka. Yeah. They, they jumped on her and they beat her down. This is a team that knows when to take the moment, when to seize the moment. And, you know, with everything going on, they could... <laughs> People Absolutely. would like it, but they could they could definitely, you know, you do it. And it would be an iconic victory. Um, <laughs> well, done. Uh, if if uh, I'm not even sure that was a pun, it was so obvious. Um, <laughs> if you had to pick a winner on this one, it's a difficult I, one. To I pick. think I think Sasha and Bailey will be the ones that okay. will rise above. Uh, they, as I said at the start, they are the ones. They're the most skilled team. Uh, they are the the two most decorated women in it. I would say, uh, and they, they're they rightfully the favourites, I think, uh, to negotiate everything that's going on around them. Uh, they're the least likely to underestimate the Iconics, I feel like. They're the, and they've got a lot of history dealing with the likes of Naya and, and Tamina and neutralising the threat that those guys have. Excellent. Do you know who I pick? Who? Uh, you'll have to tune into the right side of the pond. 
Ah, you got me again. How many times do you think you can get me on that? (laughs) We'll test it. Okay, moving swiftly on because we've got, again, we've got a lot of, uh, I mean, there's 14 matches on this card. We're not going to run through them all, but I want to make sure we cover some of the more interesting ones. Let's talk a bit about uh, AJ Styles and Randy Orton. Um, This is a match uh, that we've known is going to happen for a little while. Uh, is a match that didn't seem, you know, if you'd have if you'd have been speaking to people saying December about what WrestleMania might look like, I think people were struggling to place where AJ Styles may end up. Now, what excites me about this match is this is the exact kind of a spot in which Randy Orton excels as a performer. He's been in main events, most of those, not all of them, but a number of those main events have either been disappointing or succeeding because of another another party but where Randy Orton succeeds best is when he's in this kind of mid-card mania spot he succeeded against Kane in a spot like this in a great match at WrestleMania 28 he succeeded against CM Punk in a match like this in a great spot at WrestleMania 27 he succeeded against both Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase in a triple threat match at WrestleMania 26 in a spot like this Randy Orton when and I and I you know this is going to sound like uh, an attack on him as a performer but when the pressure is off at WrestleMania seems to be historically when Randy Orton succeeds uh, the most but interestingly AJ Styles can boast a not too dissimilar record I don't think AJ Styles has been beaten at WrestleMania yet no, Jericho beat him in the in oh, their did first. He? Oh, I thought first we had it. We, I thought we had yep. another streak on our hands there, folks. But this this is why <laughs> I have you on, Sam. This is why. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Randy Orton, for my money, I mean AJ Styles has wrestled Nakamura, he's wrestled Jericho, he's wrestled Shane McMahon. Orton is the most dangerous opponent AJ Styles has ever had to face at WrestleMania. Certainly, and a, a guy who has a history of of turning matches around very quickly at WrestleMania as well. So everything can be going against Orton and he, he is a guy that finds a way to win uh, when, particularly when it comes to WrestleMania. And uh, I, I picked up on the same thing uh, that triple threat, the, the match against punk, the match against Rollins. He is a man who early in, early in the card when, you know, it, it may not be uh, a championship match. he, he excels uh, and he's the kind of guy who really seems to get a lot out of taking on people with legacies. Uh, he was the legend killer early on, of course, um, and he's never returned to that moniker, but you know, that hasn't stopped him specifically going against people specifically going against, you know, Jeff Hardy, um, if that Randy Orton comes to town, it could be a very difficult night for AJ Styles. Absolutely. And it, fascinating point you picked up on there that I hadn't considered. It's not so much he's a legend killer anymore as it is a, a, a myth killer. I mean, CM Punk, mm. when he when he beat CM Punk at WrestleMania 27, CM Punk was presenting himself as the leader of the new Nexus. And Orton just, you know, picked that group apart one by one and then dispatched uh, CM Punk uh, at WrestleMania with Kane. Kane was going around bleating on about being a monster, embracing the hate, and Randy Orton proved himself, uh, proved to the world that Kane wasn't the monster that he was, <clears throat> excuse me, pretending uh, to be. At uh, WrestleMania 31, Seth Rollins, I can't believe I forgot the Seth Rollins match when I was when I was hyping all of Orton's, uh, and maybe I blocked it out because Seth loses, I don't know, but. Um, <clears throat> 
<laughs> at WrestleMania 31, Seth was presented as you know the new undisputed future, and Orton beat him to try and to try and dispel that. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, and to a certain extent, even with Bray Wyatt at 33, you know, Bray had been this paragon of the supernatural, and and Orton again was able to pick. I mean, first of all, he picked the Wyatt family apart from within, and then and then obviously beat Bray at, at WrestleMania. So with and we've already seen Orton pick up on. You know, this idea that AJ Styles is a vaunted independent, you know, a vaunted veteran of the independent scene, uh, but that while he was busy wrestling in, in bingo halls, as the as the saying goes, Orton was winning world championships in WWE. So it seems that he's very deliberate. I mean, to a certain extent, I guess we're saying he's always been the legend killer. It's just the kind of legend he's decided to start killing in the latter half of his career is different to the more literal ones he was killing in the first half of his career. Yeah, and I mean, looking at this from AJ Styles' perspective, because he's obviously a ferocious competitor if we know nothing nothing mm. else about him, and sometimes it feels like we don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, he, We do know that he is someone who, who has come in with a chip on his shoulder. We saw that against John Cena particularly, uh, and someone who wants to prove himself. Uh, and Randy Orton is someone who, you know, he should have been wrestling his whole life, really. He he should have been one of the guys, you know, who was wrestling Randy Orton when he was the legend killer on the way up, and when he was in Legacy, and when he was the Vi- when he was originally the Viper. AJ Styles should have been against this guy, uh, and so AJ Styles will be coming in with the same kind of fire and determination that saw him, you know, take the fight and beat John Cena in yeah. multiple times. Um, Back to back uh, at I think it was was it Money in Money the Bank, in the bank Money in the Bank and then SummerSlam, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he will he will be coming as I said coming with that same motivation. They they had that fantastic verbal spa uh, where, as you said, Randy Orton laid it out like that, but AJ Styles gave it back as good as he got. I remember, uh, and uh, sort of last word on this before we move on again, because we've got, again, a lot to get through. Uh, I remember uh, uh, the build to WrestleMania... No, the build to when Evolution feuded with The Shield. I wrote a column at the time in LOP's columns for him, uh, looking at the the advantages of of, uh, the different members of The Shield and how they should seek to pair themselves up against the different members of Evolution. And one of the the things that I said was that um, Randy Orton... Uh, actually um, had what I called first strike capability. You know, the RKO, it can come out of nowhere. Uh, You can't see it coming. Uh, You know, there's no early detection of it. What's interesting from a gamesmanship point of view is AJ Styles can boast the same thing. We've already seen him... um, We've already seen him do uh, the phenomenal forearm out of nowhere. And uh, we've seen him, uh, you know, be able to, again, get that calf crusher out of nowhere... And uh, it can it could turn the round it turn the match around uh, in an instant. So um, I guess we'll see who comes out on top on that one. I'm going to take us to a quick commercial break here, quick advert break, and then when we come back, uh, we will uh, pick up with the top three matches at WrestleMania. I hope you're enjoying the show, guys. Stick around. Okay, welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks for sticking with me. So Sam has unfortunately been uh, called away on fatherly responsibilities, which means uh, landed in something of an emergency. I, and you're going to like this, 
requested a flyby and they've Oof. airdropped in uh, my friend from the right side of the pond. Maverick is here. Hello. I prefer to think of it as being, you know, the Kevin Owens. Like, they need the real main eventer to come in because Kofi really, you know, wasn't doing it uh, for anybody. And here I am, you know, just uh, taking his place after I spell on the sidelines. Blimey. Strong words there from uh, from my good friend on the pond. I would like to say that I'm staying neutral because I don't want to uh, ask Sam to come back and him say, no, fuck you, because you had Maverick on and he talked crap about me. <laughs> it's more that you are the Vince figure, you know, the puppet master's manipulating your guests. <clears throat> Except for I actually am able to stick to a plan when I. Well, to be fair, so is so is he. We're already getting sidetracked. <laughs> um, we're here with the in universe preview, the alternative pre show for WrestleMania. We've gone through some of the undercard matches. Mav is joining me now to talk through some of the main events. Uh, the three biggest matches. Let's start with the one that I'm frankly least interested in at this point, which is the women's uh, Raw. Well, the Raw, as relevant as that is, women's championship match uh, between Ronda Rousey defending against Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. And honestly, at this stage, I'm really not sure where to even begin with this thing because there's been that much stuff that's happened since uh, Becky won the Royal Rumble back in January. We've had suspensions, we've had apologies, we've had fines, we've had turns, we've had spouses, we've had championship victories. Charlotte won the Women's Championship on SmackDown just last week, kind of turned the whole thing on its head. Now the rumour is this is going to be a sort of a, a, a an everything-on-the-line type situation where if you pin a champion, you win that championship. Maverick, where are you on, on this... Uh, convoluted mess of a situation. <laughs> it, it's a very new gen gimmick for the if they do do that, right? You know, whoever yes. pins whatever champion, it's like all those matches they used to have with, uh, you know, the tag belts on the line, the IC belts yep. on the line, the world titles on the line, all in one match. <laughs> like they used to do that quite a lot back in the mid nineties. Um, I tell you what, I, I've got to say one thing for it, um, which is appropriate given the, the show we're on right now. I think the characters have been very consistent throughout. Um, and I, I think that has been the the best thing about it. Like, if you take aside the booking and you just look at the three women and what they represent, mm. uh, I think they've each played their hands um, quite well as performers. So uh, there was an interesting line um, that Charlotte used, uh, I think it was on social media, where she said, I'm not going to apologise anymore. Mm. Um, which essentially is to say... I deserve to be the person getting all the opportunities because, you know, of my bloodline and my track record and I've won these many titles and, you know, I am essentially as close as it gets to a female John Cena, you know. Uh, that's that's kind of what she's putting out there, isn't she? Like, I, I am the person that's, that's got all of these accolades and I therefore, regardless of what you think of me, fans, I deserve to be there. Um, you've got Ronda who is kind of feeling disrespected like I've done all of this in another uh, another business and I've done this much in one year and everyone is now uh, telling their backs on me you know F you and then Becky's kind of been very consistent as the kind of um, the anti-authority the um, you know I mean I'm not going to use Austin or Ambrose's examples because it's, not, it's, it's, it's nothing close to that obviously but she has touched a nerve with people in terms of um, I think it's always the case when somebody works really, really hard for a long time and they finally get an opportunity and they really grab it with both hands and they run with it, which I don't think anyone can doubt that she has. 
Um, so regardless of how we might feel about how fans have overreacted to it or, you know, you know, people do tend, I think, in wrestling these days to either think things are brilliant or things are crap and not really have much nuance in between that. Um, but I do think that, that the man character has been something which has been needed in the women's division because since they clipped the wings of the boss character, they've not really had an equivalent, you know, um, three-dimensional character in that sense. So... I think that that's the best thing about it. The characters are all there and they should be able to interact in an interesting way on the night. It's, it's a, you know, cynicism about the way that we got here aside. Like you say, that the, the nature of the three of them as characters creates a really, really interesting dichotomy, um, on a, on a sort of level of subtext here, because you've got, you know, you've got the story of, of Charlotte, who, as you say, uh, has kind of been been plagued by this narrative of, you know, you're only in the position you're in because your surname is Flair, which, you know, you can go all the way back to 2015 when this sort of really first started on the main roster. And, she, and, and it was a it was a narrative that she was fighting with, even though she was, you know, seen seen largely as a good guy at the time it was a narrative she was fighting with even then that she you know that she'd earned her opportunities it had nothing to do with her surname but here we are you know four years later it's still it's still plaguing her in spite of the fact now that she's already joint most prolific women's champion in the company's history next to trish stratus and could very well end up leaving wrestlemania not just as you know the most prolific but also as a double champion as well which is is an unprecedented situation even though we've already had one brand extension that's still an unprecedented situation to be faced so she could you know she could really make history but you've got that narrative there of of a second generation wrestler uh, and tradition in that sense you've got then the narrative of of becky lynch who has kind of come to you know, she she represents tradition in the sense of 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 re- that idea of a wrestling meritocracy that she's earned this opportunity that they're in the main event because of the waves that she made last year, um, but at the same time represents a sense of subversion as well because she's upset the established order. You know, this we believe was going to always be Charlotte versus Ronda, and Becky is kind of, in one sense, from the company's perspective, a, a, an alien uh, presence in that sense that she's kind of crowbarred her way into this just through the the work that she's put in and clawing and scrapping to that point and is very much the, you know, the individual that the fans are behind. And then you've got Rhonda who represents a version in a different way and that she's come in, you know, and like you said, in the span of a year, uh, managed to go from, from, from debuting to, to headlining WrestleMania with the raw women's championship. But would she even be in the company if it wasn't for the work that Charlotte and, and Becky and, and Sasha and Bailey and other women did ahead of Ronda coming in to break down those. But I mean, Ronda didn't show up until uh, as a, as a full-time performer until after the first women's Royal rumble had happened. So she, you know, she bade a time coming here. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, 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 uh, of precedents fighting each other. Um, and it's interesting to think who that motivates the most um, because it'd be easy to say, well, Becky's going to be the one who's most motivated because, you know, she's the one that, that in, from the company's eyes, probably does quote, quote, doesn't belong. But if Charlotte is having to contend with this narrative that's been imposed on her, that, you know, she's she's only there because of privilege, or if Ronda, who, you know, has obviously kind of had her whole mentality flipped upside down by the way that fans have been reacted to her since she came into contact with Becky, um, 
genuinely feels irate that people aren't acknowledging what she's accomplished inside of a year it's 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 a curious thing to think which one of them is the is the mo- most motivated and it's almost you know irrelevant that this is now the first women's match uh, to headline wrestlemania whether that's a good or, or or negative thing i don't know but it's it's interesting to consider that's almost become a footnote because of the way that these three characters have been interacting with each other it's like the chip on chip on the shoulder uh, invitational, isn't it? Um, you know, sort of all, all, all three of them have just New got a, a giant um, reason to, uh, to to go out there and, and prove the others wrong. Um, it's quite interesting that um, you know, sort of a lot of the reason that Rousey became a kind of figure with figure of fun amongst wrestling fans is her sort of efforts to. Um, you know, bandy words about with the much more articulate Becky Lynch. Um, and it, it's kind of like almost forced Rousey into being what I think she probably should have been all along, which is just, just a fighter. Um, and all of this kind of attempts to give her the microphone and stuff was just making her seem more and more ridiculous. And so now that she's just kind of, you know, going out there and, uh, and wanting to sort of, you know, prove that she can tap people out in 10 seconds, which is what she's been doing with, like, Dana Brooke and um, and Ruby Riot, and uh, I think on the house show circuit, like, Sonya Deville and stuff, like, shows that um, they've, they've started to understand what they, should, what they should be doing with her going into this based on the fact that if she isn't sticking around much longer after WrestleMania, you, you would think that they would want... Um, they want Becky and Charlotte to come out of this smelling of roses. Mm. Do you think either one of them will? Well, I mean, that's what they end the, up the, doing the, with a gimmick, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Charlotte carrying the SmackDown Women's Championship heading into this thing kind of... Um, I don't know if it makes it less obvious or more obvious as to... Uh, obvious is the wrong word. More predictable, less predictable as to, to what's going to happen because you would think that surely we're not going to be in a situation... Uh, if there's no intention of, of unifying championships, that 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 Charlotte would leave with both women's championships, and how much is that going to aggravate, you know, WWE fans, um, especially if she ends up, you know, beating Ronda. Alternatively, you know, it might aggravate people if Becky wins, but wins by pinning Charlotte, because there's been no indication on TV that Becky and Charlotte are actually now Raw superstars they are from what i could tell still technically smackdown superstars they're just chasing a raw women's championship i mean there's two aspects to look at this if you if you look at it from the practical point of view is i think it's it's WWE keeping their options open to say okay um smackdown's moving to fox next year uh we want a big name big big you know big name woman that's going to be on that show if you have ronda charlotte and becky all on raw then um I mean, what's that lead Asuka, basically, uh, on SmackDown? So there's aspect. But if you look at it from the, the storyline perspective, uh, again, you go back to Vince as the person that's kind of um, just wanting to stir things up and manipulate things and, you know, and create um, dissension everywhere. I think, you know, people have always theorised that um, Charlotte was as the match, not just because it was the plan, but also because... It is a convenient person to take the fall. I mean, I guess it's the um, 
I mean, it's not really the Shawn Michaels role at WrestleMania 20 because Triple H did take the fall, but I think a lot of people thought Shawn Michaels was taking the fall in that match to begin with when it was first booked um, way back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I think it depends what they do with the final uh, with the final stipulation. One thing that occurred to me is uh, if they do do this horsewomen thing, which is widely rumoured, um, then it does set up a unification match at SummerSlam or perhaps even next year's WrestleMania down the line. Um, you know, it, it, imagine having an Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan, but with the women. <laughs> well, it's possible. I mean, I, I de- at this stage, I don't wish for anything quite so positive as to even an indication that there's something happening with... Um, I think they're going to, you know, and it's probably a conversation more for the pond, but I think that, that we're... That we're going to have WWE carry on pretending there's a brand split and all the while acting like there isn't whenever it's convenient for the next few years because of course that's how the first one ended up operating for about half of its existence in the end um, but it, yeah I mean certainly if, if Becky leaves with the Raw Women's Championship, Charlotte leaves with the Smackdown Live Women's Championship, Bailey and Sasha leave with the Tag Championships and if something does happen where they celebrate in the ring uh, you know, one one wonders if that's just a moment in and of itself, or if it might might end up leading to somewhere in the near future. We can but hope. But um, actually, I'm not. I, I've been asking Sam to pick winners on the matches we've previewed. I'm not going to ask you to do that because <laughs> we're going to be doing that on Friday on the right side of the pond. So um, instead, we'll we'll move swiftly on. And obviously, I've got to end with Seth. So let's talk about about Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan, which we now know is official for WrestleMania after SmackDown Live this last week. This is a, a curious one because there is a, a mirror image there with Daniel Bryan's own path to WrestleMania 30 in a, in a slightly more um, uh, diluted uh, sense. And Bryan, I think it's been wonderful seeing Bryan going around calling Kofi Kingston a B-plus player and that kind of that little nod towards continuity that's never been particularly heavy-handed has been has been nice to see. Uh, Kofi is obviously the fan favourite uh, to, to win here. I think a lot of people uh, are, 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 you know, uh, wanting him to win, it's been disappointing for me in the build-up to see it to see Kofi in in various segments and so forth, uh, kind of being more passive than Xavier and Big E, which has struck me as quite weird to see. But on the night, I'm sure he's going to pull out a magic performance. And but there's two elements to this, and, and we've kind, you and I have kind of discussed this with Rich Latter and others on Twitter, which is you know on the one hand there is that traditional almost um you know eddie guerrero style underdog story here of kofi is just this this veteran that people have always had a lot of affection for so seeing him get that world title win would be would be a huge elated moment in itself but a lot of fans uh, have i think um uh, obviously depending on social demographic have have latched onto this maybe latched is the wrong phrase but seeing this uh, something with a lot more uh, uh, social weight behind it um, which is awesome to consider if Kofi picks up uh, uh, the victory here. Uh, I know you've always had a lot of affection for Kofi, just from the general standpoint of of being, a, you know, just a wrestling fan. So uh, I can only assume that you are uh, excited by the prospect of a win for him over Brian. I think I think you know Kofi's career is one of WWE's great missed opportunities for me, along with his his whole generation. I felt, I always, I've said this before a lot of times, but I always felt when he had that feud against Randy Orton after Survivor Series that year in 2009, um, he should have had an unobstructed road to the main event. And the fact that that didn't happen, I think, is a, 
a big missed opportunity because at the time they had no baby faces bar senior really and it would have been a, a smart move really for them to, to, to kind of go with it but yeah so I'm, I'm excited to kind of see him get his due um obviously we are a long way removed from the old days where almost everybody got a wwe championship at some point in their career um and so actually this sort of thing has become increasingly um unusual jinder mahala side mm. <laughs> <laughs> um so i i, I it's, it's interesting that the the thing that i found most interesting about it actually uh, the whole build, because I think the build has been hit and miss. I think Elimination Chamber was a massive hit. I think what they've done since Elimination Chamber has been a bit overwrought in places. Um, but certainly the idea of um, Xavier and Biggie having to... I almost wish they hadn't done the Kofi gauntlet the week before, yeah. because yeah. actually the new, the new Day doing the gauntlet... Um, and you know, starting having to start from number one, go all the way through for their friends. That was incredibly powerful, I thought. Mm. And not only that, the Usos laying down for them because of their respect from their battles the year before. I thought that was one of WWE's greatest bits of storytelling for a long, long, long time. I just thought brilliant promo, uh, you know, brilliant piece of storytelling, and then. You know they pull out, uh, they pull out the win in the end um, against Rowan and Brian with a good old table on top of Big Man spot. <laughs> so yeah, so that was that was really cool. I think, like you say, it's a little bit odd that Kofi hasn't got more mic time in all of this thing. But then again, maybe that feeds into this whole uh, to kind of borrow a, a pun from CM Punk is Kofi the kind of voice of the voiceless and therefore kind of his lack of time on the mic represents the kind of underlying story of yeah. African-Americans being held down by the company at, which they've kind of leaned into yeah. but 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 kind of left subtle enough for their more um, hmm, what should we say their more kind of uh, conservative demographic mm. to still invest in the story yeah, I I get that exact same impression as well. It's it's there for the people who want to see it, and for the people who, for whatever reason, it, they may have to not want to see it. You know, there's enough there for them to latch on to something else instead. Um, I think it's going to be a hugely, hugely uh, emotional experience for a lot of fans. Uh, emotional is probably an emotive experience for a lot of fans on the night and and the exciting thing is i mean it it feels like so long ago it's been such a long build to to wrestlemania this year that lest we forget that the end to the elimination uh, chamber match which you and i have both lauded you know when we we're lauding just this last week on the right side of the pond when we were discussing um match best matches of the decade you know that ended with a riveting uh, showdown between uh, kofi kingston and daniel bryan i think a lot of people's hearts are going to be in their mouths but you know, from Daniel Bryan's perspective, it's a fascinating situation as well. And, and I feel like, obviously, because the impetus, the narrative impetus has been on, on Kofi the whole way through to get the match, get the match, get the match. And obviously, Daniel Bryan has been the antagonist trying to prevent it from happening. Um, Kofi has become quite, quite rightly the talking point. But we shouldn't look past the fact that Daniel Bryan continues to be on the absolute form of his career uh, it just seems to get better and better and better. I mean, when they did the contract signing before Fastlane, 
what struck me was the fact that I couldn't take my eyes off Daniel Bryan the entire time, and he was just sat there not doing anything, and yet he still seemed to have the greatest stage presence in that ring on that night. Um, and you know, he's he's gotten he's back to uh, the best form he's been in in the ring again, um, and uh, people, you know. For all of the 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 kind of the mitigating uh, circumstances surrounding this one, people shouldn't look past the fact uh, that it's not going to be easy for Kofi to beat Brian, and there's every chance that Brian may still retain his championship. I think you know it, it's 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 such a brilliant trick to take the most popular wrestler. I don't think there's any any disputing this. The most popular wrestler in the world. Um and make him one of the most hated. And it's almost like you've even tricked the vast majority of the smart fans into like booing Daniel Bryan, which does not happen often. Um, it's been a, a wonderful character change. I didn't see it coming at all. Um, you know, when he turned here on AJ Styles, I was kind of like, uh, whatever, didn't care particularly. And then this character started to started to form, and you must think he'd been thinking about this for quite a long time because the the way in which he's he was able to kind of start putting it all together um, has been has been brilliant, and the matches have been as good as the segments. Um, I I think Brian himself is going to be super motivated to give Kofi the very best match that he's ever had. Um, I would think that this is going to be, I guess, for everybody. Um, in terms of in-ring action, it's going to be their savage steamboat. You know that it, it's it's going to be that kind of a um, a back and forth match, which you won't necessarily get from Rollins, Lesnar, or I mean, I guess people have got hopes for Styles and Orton. So I mean, I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah, I think. I think it's going to be one of those ones where I hope they don't go too heavy on the underdog stuff because obviously they're the same size, give or take. Um, they've got similar tenures with the company. Uh, I hope they don't just tell it as Kofi is having to fight through adversity because the adversity was getting there. I think once he's in the ring, the whole narrative is he can get it done. And we've seen time and again that he can get it done, you know, and, and he's that's I mean, that's what's driven his quest, isn't it? Is that he was getting it done and kept getting manipulated back out of his opportunity again. So uh, exciting times. We'll see what happens come the night itself. I'm sure it's probably going to be um, one of the more uh, rapidly consumed matches of this already 14, probably end up 16 match card that we have. Um Okay, well, that we'll move swiftly on. Um, one more match to talk about before we head off out of here, um, which is, of course, the one that I was always going to leave till last, which is the Universal uh, Championship match between the defending champion Brock Lesnar, who enters yet another WrestleMania with that championship. Uh, and, of course, his challenger this year is... Uh, oh, Bugger, we've not done... Did you have time to maybe talk through Reigns and McIntyre, Mav? Or of, you... of course. Of course it's the match I'm most looking forward to. So okay, I excellent. So. <laughs> well, press the pause there. We should have started off with this one. I totally forgot Sam and I hadn't covered it. So we'll deal with Seth and Brock in a little while. First of all, let's talk about Reigns and McIntyre then. Because this is a match um, that uh, is um, potentially in that position to deliver on 
you know, to use your 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 uh, favourite comparison, the Christian Jericho uh, match of the night. I think uh, there's a lot of emotional undertone to it. Reigns has obviously come back from his fight, successful fight with Leukemia, uh, reunited the Shield, was able to smooth over the bumps between Seth and, and Dean, whose relationship you and I documented in depth at the back end of last year on the show. Um, got beaten down viciously by Drew, who's then mowed his way through Seth, mowed his way through through Dean, challenged Roman to a match at WrestleMania, and here we are. It's not had 15 weeks of build-up to it. It's been relatively uh, truncated, which has been to its benefit, I think, and it's an exciting prospect to think about these two guys. Reigns has a lot of motivation, not just for himself, but on behalf of Dean, who's been beaten down twice by Drew on TV now, uh, to go in there and give Drew McIntyre a pasting, and Drew has... Uh, that same perennial motivation he's had since he returned to the main roster, which is to almost wreak revenge on the current locker room for having achieved something that in his heyday was flatly denied him and his generation. Yeah, I, I really, really love this. Um, I Also, first of all, how refreshing is it to see Roman Reigns in a mid-card match at WrestleMania, first of all? Yes. Cool. Uh, s- second of all, um, it's the Billy Jack Haynes Hercules match <laughs> at WrestleMania. It's how I'm how I'm seeing this one in my head. Marvelous. Um, you know, kind of a big guy of the previous generation, big guy of this generation uh, facing off like I mean, I was one of Jesse Ventura's um, first line of commentary in that match, like two balls. Hmm. Um, I, I I love that McIntyre has 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 so consciously ever since he came onto um, Raw in April, he has so consciously referred back to his previous time when he was named the chosen one by Vince McMahon and, um, and of course, you know, has a, a swift ascent at the top of the mid-card only to then be slapped down to the point where he ends up in 3MB uh, losing a Wii LC match. Um, so, yeah, it's... It, it's been incredible to see a very motivated Drew McIntyre uh, have this tag team with Ziggler, which was fantastic, go after the Shield and have no sort of compunctions about going after the Shield. And the fact they've managed to keep this bubbling to the point where after Reigns' absence, they can pick it up again. Um, it's fantastic. I When Reigns first came back, straight away I said to Doc, this was the match that I wanted to see at WrestleMania for, for Roman. Um, and as you say, it's been... Um, lit up by the fact that, um, you know, Ambrose has gone one-on-one with him in a brutal match. Uh, Rollins then, standing up for Reigns and Ambrose, went in. Uh, but, of course, as a distraction to his match with Brock, it meant that um, he ends up, you know, Seth ends up losing that challenge as well because he had his eyes on, you know, his, you know the champion that he's going to challenge. Um, and, and Reigns is therefore... Uh, almost like the last man standing in the shield, which was kind of like the position he occupied in the Wyatt's feud um, back in the day. Mm. So it's it's going to be very physical. Um, I, I hope they just beat the absolute hell out of each other. Um, I mean, if, if McIntyre wins this, which I think is the bold play, then you, you genuinely have somebody that you can then send on to Seth as his first... Uh, title defense should should Seth win the title, um, and if if Reigns wins it, then it's a nice feel good story. But you know it is a night where you can see a lot of baby faces winning. So 
I, I do wonder if, um, for the sake of balance, that, uh, you know, I know, I know people won't expect it, but I wonder if maybe uh, McIntyre will do exactly as he said he's going to do. Yeah, I think there's a meta angle to that that I'll I'll talk about on the pond on on Friday. I think you're absolutely spot on that it's the, the result on that one is is particularly intriguing. What you were saying, I, I mean, I've I've loved the same thing. You know, McIntyre seems to have been since his return motivated just by a kind of a lingering rage, uh, and I think that that's the word to use for him is rage. He just seems he just always seems so absolutely pissed off all the time at everybody. Um, and obviously, the shield has been the latest uh, sort of target of that. Um, and uh, I mean, there's there's a to have to have woven in Ambrose's departure rather than sort of treating that as its own separate thing. Um, a part of me, and and we listen, we still have an episode of Raw, so we may end up, you know, doing something. But I think it looks like Ambrose won't be uh, at WrestleMania, um, and. So what you get is this sense of, of Reigns having sort of doubled the motivation because there's a there's an extra kind of sense of, of tragedy belying uh, the story that, that that's going on between the two of them uh, and and you get there's a sense of, of of revenge there for himself as well of course after after the beatdown and so you're almost in this situation where you have even though Seth is still about and he's still challenging you know Brock for the universe title and stuff. There's that there's that wonderful element of Rain sort of fighting for uh, the honor of of the Shield uh, as as like a one man Shield against Drew, which sets Drew up to be to look particularly menacing as well to have driven the group to that point. Um, and I think that that like you say, if if Drew picks up a win, like what a head turner for him uh, to have to have come out of nowhere because that essentially represents then the fulfillment of a crusade that he's been on for the better part of a year, which is to you know to 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 reclaim a spot that he feels he never should have lost. And how I propose it that the one guy who was once called the chosen one might end up beating the guy who has been widely perceived to have been the chosen one since 2014. Yeah. And that's, that's a really fascinating um, angle to it, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the, uh, the false chosen one against the, uh, uh, the true chosen one. I mean, there's there's always that, and and I'm sure you'd be able to discuss this better than I can as a as a as a, a literary expert of sorts. But um, you know, in in a lot of particular like fantasy and science fiction stories, there's always that trope of the chosen one, isn't there? And what I yeah. what I find of the heroes, you know, you think Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, for example, or or you know whatever it may be. Uh, and what I find so fascinating about Drew's character arc is that you sort of see what happens if someone gets told that. And then it turns out to not be true. And particularly given what we were saying about Vince earlier on, it's a, it's an interesting aspect to, to Vince's character that he has he has this habit of backing the wrong horse. Mm. Um, and, it, and you can see it kind of you can see it down the years in in various forms, both kind of uh, out of universe and in universe, in fact. Well, <laughs> yeah, quite, absolutely. Quite funny. Yeah, absolutely, and he's kind of somewhat reflected in the way that he's been handling the Kofi Kingston um, situation, in which I guess you could say he's not necessarily back in the wrong horse, as he's not back in the right one. Um, so, so fascinating times. I too am hugely looking forward to it, and like you say, just incredibly refreshing. Um, really can't be understated. I think for Roman Reigns to be on a WrestleMania card in a different spot, other than you know another show closing match against another part-time uh, performer. Um, 
And speaking of that, uh, and we've mentioned him a couple of times, is the match that I was wanting to end on, which is, of course, Seth Rollins, in ch- Seth Rollins challenging Brock Lesnar uh, for the Universal uh, Championship. I think it's fair to say, and it kills me a little bit to say it, but I think it's fair to say that this one has kind of taken maybe a third seat behind uh, the Raw Women's Championship scene and the Kofi Kingston-Daniel Bryan um, scene, but certainly I'm still hugely invested in it, and I still see this as the culmination of a journey that Rollins has been on um, really since before 2016, since since he betrayed his brothers in the Shield in, in 2014. It's been a hell of an odyssey for his character to have gone, you know, to have betrayed his brothers and joined the authority and risen to the top and then had that torn away from him and then torn lower again by Triple H's betrayal to reclaim some semblance of his old self by beating Triple H, going through the the kind of the the redemptive arc through a very various series of mid-card feuds, uh, getting the Intercontinental Championship, you know, blazing raw blazing through raw with that title winning the Royal Rumble, and now we're here. And it feels like if he wins the Universal Championship, it's just the perfect conclusion to that story arc, in contrast to Brock Lesnar, who has had very little, if any, point for the last three, four years. Um, I, I, as, a, as, a Seth, as someone who is so heavily invested in this, uh, but is very acutely aware of WWE, to be meta for a second... Um, I, I am bracing myself for a, a Lesnar victory because it just feels like, you know, with, with as you said earlier, you know, for, from the perspective of balance, you could just hear Vince's logic going through his head that one of them has to lose and it can't be Kofi and it can't be Becky, so it's got to be Seth. Um, but having said that, uh, Brock's best and most competitive matches have been against performers uh, of Seth's. Uh, size and stature, which is something that has been picked up on the show. Seth has the character of the idea of being an architect who can, you know, plan plan something out um, and, and uncover that key to victory. There's precedent um, dating back to, to um, 2015 with WrestleMania 31 in play here. So Lesnar, you've got to think, is going to be looking for some semblance of revenge tied in all of this. Uh, and beyond anything else, regardless of, of the outcome, I'm, I, I know perhaps you're a little bit more tentative than I am, but I'm expecting a, a, a really good match. And I think in terms of motivation, listen, Seth has proven himself to be a performer who uh, doesn't like not, uh, doesn't like the wrong word, but who wants to be the guy that people are talking about, I think. And I think that he's, because of everything else that's going on around him, I think he's going to be particularly driven to, uh, to uh, you know, to overachieve on the night i have to back seth all the way in this thing but i'm interested to hear your thoughts on it i've come around on it quite a lot i have to say um i think once you get over the disappointment of of it not being a full-time of a full-time match um i can see a few interesting things here one thing that occurred to me is seth isn't really alone um i wouldn't be like terribly surprised if we got the kind of um goldberg eddie finish Mm. and we get roman reigns doing a run-in spear phoenix splash one two three or you know something like that love it um 
or or even Ambrose. Or even Ambrose, yeah. If we, I mean, that would be an amazing way for Ambrose to leave the company, like sort of holding Seth on his shoulders, like hmm. uh, Brett at the end of WrestleMania. Oh 10. man, don't. <laughs> <laughs> the whole locker room. Actually, I'd love that. The whole locker room comes and holds Seth up. That would the be locker room. Yeah, that would be. I uh, actually have above my mantelpiece in my living room. I have uh, a framed picture of Seth holding the title at 31, and next to it is Brett at, on the shoulders of Razor at WrestleMania 10. So. I'm totally on board with that. That would be uh, that would be a fantastic way to end it all. Um, I think you don't go to the trouble of printing a load of shirts that say Beast Slayer if he's not going to do it. I think <laughs> I think there is also that. Um, <laughs> Fair point. Um, and it's cool. It's cool though. Like I like the way that they've lent into that. Right, he was the King Slayer, and now he's going to be the Beast Slayer. And you know, can I can I can I just say by the way? I mean, you know me, Mav. I don't like to take credit for everything, but um, I did coin the term Beast Slayer last year. So I'm just taking credit for that. There you go. Um, WWE needs to start sending those uh, those royalties your way. They absolutely do. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I do I do think that um, like you say, he, I hope they tell a story whereby Seth clearly has a plan, and they kind of did that a little bit with Bella, where he went after the stomach because it's a known thing that. Uh, Brock Lesnar had diverticulitis, and um, they did. In fact, Triple H did that in uh, at SummerSlam in 2000. God, 12. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think there's going to be some sort of chink in the armor that Seth's done, um, and you're therefore going to get a more competitive match than you have traditionally got out of Brock Lesnar. If they're really bold, and I've wished for this ever since it happened you get a kind of punk at Summer Sun 13 type of affair. Although yeah. maybe, obviously, punk was lit by revenge then, so it was mm. more of a, like, wild and reckless. Obviously, Seth would be playing it more of the, you know, cool, calm and collected. Yeah, absolutely. And and I Seth is... It, I love that line you said that Seth's not really alone because he's surrounded by people... Um, you know, and it's and, and I'd, I'd not considered this until now, but it's such a wonderful aspect to the to the the, the side of his story that's about uh, redemption. Because obviously, he, you know, he betrayed the shield, uh, and then one by one, he betrayed people in the authority. And then the authority betrayed him, and he was left all alone. And that was a real prominent theme in the feud he had with Ambrose against the Bar. Was this idea of being alone? And Ambrose, you know, I think said to him at one point, you know, welcome to being alone. Um, but he's surrounded by people now who have experience fighting Lesnar to varying degrees of success. Uh, and so many of them are linked to his history. You know, Ambrose has been in the ring with Lesnar uh, and remains the one uh, character that Lesnar showed some fear of. Uh, Reigns has been in the ring with Lesnar more than anybody uh, of his generation and knows what it takes to beat him. Triple H has been in the ring with Lesnar three times over, beat him once, and, and of course is Seth's uh, mentor Finn has been in the ring with Lesnar and uh, you know anybody who follows either Finn or Seth on social media knows how close they are as friends and they've got a long and competitive history with one another as well as a, a, a sense of respect there all these all these individuals that have been such prominent parts of Seth's life in WWE all have experience with Brock Lesnar in the ring and he could call upon that experience as well as doing his own tape as well as his own experience because Seth was in the ring with Lesnar at Battleground in 2015 um and that's a that's a, a really uh, I think fitting aspect to this that I hadn't considered. And I think the line you used sums it up perfectly. He genuinely isn't alone. And that you mentioned the idea of the raw locker room coming out, the idea of, of Punk being lit by revenge in 2013. One of the common themes that's come up time and again in Seth's verbiage as we've been building to this 
is that he's sick of Brock Lesnar holding the industry he loves hostage. And if you remember the the night after Royal Rumble, the first promo he cut was quite an emotional one about how you know he this business is his life and he all he ever wanted to do was headline WrestleMania. He didn't want to be an astronaut or any of the other stuff that kids usually want to be. Uh, and it was and then Triple H came out and got a bit emotional as well. I feel like because it's this is a this is a story that's kind of ended up you know taking a bit of a backseat to the, to the hotter elements of, of the two main brands. Um, that either WWE haven't lent into that as much as they could have done, or that it's just not been picked up as much as perhaps it should have been, which is this notion of, of Seth being lit by revenge of his own sort. It's not the kind of personal animosity that Punk had in, in 2013. Um, but the idea of, of, of liberating uh, this industry that he loves from this toxic presence once and for all, uh, and getting revenge for that. Um, which is uh, in, it, it plays into Lesnar's character as well, because in the past Heyman has called Lesnar a, a, a subjugator as well. Um, and then, and then on top of all of that, you also have, uh, you know, the as I said a moment ago, the the fact that this for Seth's character is the last obst- obstacle to being able to say, you know, I've it's that line from Shawshank. I can never remember a, a, a verbatim about crawling through a river of shit to come up clean on the other side. And the other thing about Seth, of course, is that we've talked before about his entire motivation through his entire career has been about success. Yes. Success was what made him sell his soul in the first place. Yep. You know, success made him uh, create the shield. Um, all these all these things have, have been there for him. He's not held the title since um, he was betrayed by, by the authority. He's had the Intercontinental title. But he hasn't had that that top top title, so he's been starved of that, and you know he needs it. Absolutely, and and if he does, and if and every you know, uh, every time that whatever his idea of success is at any given moment, more often than not he attains it. So when it was about getting uh, revenge on Triple H, he managed it. When it was about reuniting with Dean, he managed it. Uh, when it was about betraying the Shield, he managed it. You know, so on and so forth. When it was about reinstating the authority, he managed it. Um, now it's beating Brock Lesnar, so you've got to have faith. And, and the other point I wanted to make was that idea you 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 uh, uh, put forward there about you know the, how cool would it be to see the Raw locker room come out. Well, as I say, you know the the, the tone of this of this build for Seth has been about liberating the company and, and uh, bringing the title back to Raw every week. Um, and I don't know if you saw it. There was an interesting tweet from one member of of the revival to him some weeks back. Um, I think he congratulated them on winning the tag titles or something, and they and they I can't remember what they said to him, but they they tweeted him something that intimated that it was because he was he was leading the way or something on on trying to force change in the company. I can't remember what it was, and I think it was sort of half in character anyway. But um, the point being uh, that there is a sense of weighty responsibility on Seth's shoulders from the perspective of the Raw locker room. So I think it'd be, actually be really fitting for that kind of a scene to to play out. Though I doubt it would, particularly if they go down the route of you know, the four horsemen at the end and stuff, maybe one celebration too many, but there's, the point is there's so many moving parts. I think it's easy to think that this is really kind of a, just a really dull storyline because Lesnar hasn't been around, but I think what's interesting is when you start to really dig into how we got here um, and what it means on a meta level as well, there's actually a lot a lot of moving parts to it and there's a lot of, uh, of context to it that I find really thrilling, quite outside of my own attachment to Seth as, as my favourite wrestler. So, um, 
we'll pick our winners, uh, or you will, because I refuse to, on Friday <laughs> on the right side of the pond. Um, Mav, thank you so much for, for dropping in, uh, parachuting in to uh, save my skin and carry on with the second half of this alternative pre-show for WrestleMania. Um, is there anything you want to plug for the good folks listening? Uh, no, just go and listen to the pond as usual. Uh, and then, oh, of course, we should plug the uh, LOP Hall of Fame columns, which are Indeed. all uh, appearing uh, on a daily basis this week. Absolutely. Um so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that. Hall of Fame inductions that you guys voted for and you guys decided, incidentally. So um, do uh, do make sure you check those out. And you can, of course, catch Mav and I, as he just said, on Friday on the right side of the pond. And then you can catch myself on this very busy week with my final appearance on Aftershock for the foreseeable future uh, post-WrestleMania, uh, where Steve and I will be breaking down all of the action in the immediate aftermath of what I hope will be a good show. I hope you've enjoyed this show my thanks to mav my thanks to sir sam uh and uh i guess i will see you uh on next wednesday with the performance art review of wrestlemania 35 thanks for listening guys